Thank you, Spencer, and thank you, uh, worship team. Uh, boy, they did a great job putting those songs together. If you listen to the words, or yeah, thank you. Maybe you didn't know the words, but if you listen, those words prepare us so well for what we're about to start today, and that's a study in the book of Revelation. Embrace the wonder. Um, looking forward to doing that with you. I learned something unique about myself this past, uh, past few weeks. Spencer, you know this. I'm really techy. I'm just a tech. Don't laugh. Um, it's a new skill that I have. And I'll, I'll tell you how I know. Even though I couldn't fix this earlier, we had a problem with PowerPoint. Uh, if my uh, phone is acting funny and kind of slow, if my computer is sluggish, if the television is not streaming as it should, you know what I do? I, I push restart. That's all I do. I just reboot. It used to be a problem with the computer, I, I would call India. But now I just push restart and it seems to work. Here, here's what I'd like us to do when it comes to Revelation is to push restart. I'll tell you why. Um, some of us have read through Revelation, and you got to the end and you think, what in the world was that? Or some of us have gotten partway through Revelation, and you stop and you think, this is just too weird. Some of us <clears throat> have read through Revelation, and um, there's just a lot of... Uh, confusion and not sure where to go with it. Uh, some have said, there's no way I'm going to even touch Revelation. I hear what people say about it. I'll read all the other 65 books of the Bible, including Leviticus, but I'm not going to touch <laughs> Revelation. Others of us have studied through Revelation. We've read through Revelation, and we know what it means. You know, in medical terms, it's called hardening of the arteries, but there's such thing as hardening of the categories. Well, one of the cardinal rules in, in interpreting Scripture is that we uh, should be clear and solid where God is clear in His Word. But we should be willing to show grace where it's unclear and be open to maybe other interpretations. And Revelation will give us that opportunity to show grace because there are some other interpretations in, in different parts of Revelation. That's important. So we want to be sure that we're open to learning brand new. So let's push the restart button together. And, and I think this is what will happen. It will put us on the same page. I, I think it will position us to be better followers of Jesus, it will position us to love Jesus in a brand new way. So, 17 weeks together in Revelation. I don't know if this church has ever done anything for 17 weeks in a row, but here we go. I have a good friend, at a pastor, a pastor at a church in Northeast Ohio. They took a year through the book of Revelation. And my point is this, is that as we go through this letter, this book, uh, there will be trails we won't have time to hike down, paths we can't walk. We can't turn over every rock. We can't look behind every bush. Uh, we only have 17 weeks. So we're going to lean on you to do whatever you can to study it even more. So we've provided a resource page on our website, and all you got to do is to go to that, thechapel.family slash revelation dash resources. It is a really good page 
with a lot of resources there that can help take you as deep as you want to go. It'll help you look behind every rock you want to look behind. All right? So please go there, check that out. Having said all of that, let's push restart and let's begin. Uh, verse 1 and 2. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the, of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we, the, the word revelation shows up there a couple times. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. You know the word apocalypse, right? What comes to mind when you hear apocalypse? Maybe something like this. The end of the world. I don't know how many movies that have, have been made with the word apocalypse in it. There's apocalypse now. There's zombie apocalypse, which is very close to what Revelation teaches. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Somebody told me about a, real, a reality show. I had never seen it before, but I wanted to check it out, and it's true. It's called Doomsday Preppers, where they're preparing for the end of the world, the apocalypse, Right? Or maybe you have considered something like this as you think about the apocalypse. This $17.5 million underground bunker, 45 feet underground, it can fit 20 people, and it's designed to resist any zombies and any nuclear blast. Isn't that amazing? It's in Georgia. This is real. This is a picture, a model of it. This would be a great in-law, um, <laughs> just, a, just a great in-law suite for your home. Some of you might be considering that. You know, uh, when, you, when you hear apocalypse, when you hear revelation, you tend to think the future. And there, the, revelation is about the future, of course, but revelation is much more than that. Revelation is the revealing of who Jesus Christ is. That's important to know. Some of us were raised in the church. All of us have lived through Christmases and Easter, and we've got an image of who Jesus is. We live with stereotypes. and We think of Jesus lying in the manger. We think of Jesus walking with his disciples and his miracles and on the cross, and all of that is very, very true. All of Scripture speaks to who Jesus is, but we come to Revelation, and now we get this, finally we get this full-orbed view of what Jesus is like. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what Revelation tells us. You know, the Jews, when they, when they anticipated the Messiah coming, they were anticipating a ruler and a warrior. Instead, what came was a suffering servant who died on the cross for our sins. When Jesus comes again, he will come as a warrior and as a ruler. That's important to remember. So in these 22 chapters of Revelation, it's not a sci-fi thriller it's the reality of who Jesus is. There's been so much conversation about Revelation and the future, and I get that. Again, it is about the future, but it's also very much about the present. This letter is written to the present-day church. It's written to you and me. It's written to the chapel. But it's also written to every church that has existed in every age, and when John wrote this letter, he was writing to a group of churches for a particular reason. Let's pick it up at verse 4. Apocalypse means revelation. There we go. Verse 4. And we'll come back to verse 3 at the end of the service. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. 
We'll come back to who those seven churches are in a moment. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. If you're writing a letter, this is what you call the salutation. John is writing this to these seven churches. I'll tell you about those in just a moment. But this, somebody said this salutation could be boiled down in, in just a few simple words. From God with love. It's from God the Father, God the, the Spirit. You can see sevenfold spirit. The, word, the number seven, by the way, shows up in Revelation repeatedly. And it's a sim, it symbolizes perfection. So it means the Holy Spirit there. And from Jesus Christ. This is, a, this is a letter from God with love. Not just to the present day church, but to the churches then. Uh, we're going to come back to the next few verses, one of the verses later on. Next week we'll be looking at the character of Jesus, the, t- the titles of the names of Jesus. Let me jump ahead to verse 9. It goes like this. I, John, am your brother and partner, and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus Christ has called us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches that in that day were in a province of Asia, which today is modern-day Turkey. In just a couple weeks, we're going to be looking at the letters written to those churches and see what they say and how they apply to us today. But John is writing to these churches because they are going through something very similar. Let's go back to verse 9, and we'll see what that is. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Patmos, some of you know about Camp Patmos over on Kelly's Island. Maybe you went there as a child or you have sent your children or grandchildren there. They do really good work there. John is exiled to this island called Patmos. Today, people go there for vacations. It's a Greek island. But not then. You know, John was sent there. He was banished to Patmos because that's where the Romans sent those who were open about their followership of Jesus. You know, all the other disciples of Jesus, the tradition tells us they were martyred, they were killed, but John was banished to this island called Patmos. And it's there he was mistreated, of course. He was uh, sentenced to hard labor, and the Roman soldiers were there to, to whip anyone who didn't work hard enough. Uh, shortage of food, shortage of clothing, forced to sleep on the ground. It was a terrible, terrible setting. So John knows what it means to suffer for following Jesus. And he's writing to these churches who were very familiar with suffering also for following Christ. Now, uh, all of us in this room understand what hardship is like. It's relative. We go through different things. Maybe you're going through a hard time right now, mentally, emotionally, physically, suffering, pain, whatever it might be. We all understand. We, are, we live in a broken world, you know, and not only that, but we make bad decisions at times. We, we do understand that life can be hard at times. But, but how much more difficult is it 
When you, when you add to that the abuse and the mistreatment and the persecution that comes because you are a follower of Christ. Do, do you know around the world, um, Forbes magazine says that one out of eight Christians may be subject to persecution because of their faith. Christianity Today recently listed the 50 top countries that are perse- where persecution takes place. Number one is North Korea. That's an atheist nation. Number 10 is India. That is a radical Hindu nation. In between, two through nine are all Muslim-oriented countries. It's very difficult to be a Christian in these nations. Very difficult. What would it... What would it take for you not to walk away from your faith when being persecuted? What would it take for you to stand strong in following Jesus in the face of hardship and suffering? What would that take if it came upon you? What would keep you from walking away? The message of Revelation. I mean, certainly all of the promises in Scripture that lead up to Revelation, but Revelation is like the culmination of all promises, because there you understand that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is sitting on the throne in heaven, and under his watchful eye is all that's happening to you right now. And nothing happens in your life that is not first sifted through his hand. The message of Revelation is a hope to the weary traveler. The message of Revelation is a word of encouragement to those who are downtrodden. There's a man by the name of Daniel Aiken. He wrote one of the commentaries that's in the resource page that, we get, that we're providing you. He has a good friend who was a colleague in a nation where persecution began to take place. And this persecution drove the church underground, trying to escape the, the suffering that was coming with following Christ. And this colleague talked to some of the leaders of this persecuted nation where the church was so beaten down by the government, and by other religions. And the colleague asked these church leaders, what are, your, what are your favorite books in the Bible? And the leader said, well, it's easy. Daniel and Revelation. He said, well, what? Why? Why those books? Because they tell us in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pain, in this midst of following Jesus, we're reminded that God wins. <laughs> And you know, you may not be persecuted because of your faith. You could be simply going through a hard time. And if you haven't gone through a hard time, you are now. If you aren't now, you will. <laughs> That's just the way life works. But we can know, we can know, we can be buoyed in our faith. We can be encouraged to be faithful to Christ, knowing that in the end, God wins. Um, I, I think sometimes of what I've heard over the years in terms of, in terms of revelation. Uh, I've been in small groups. I've been in mid-sized groups, churches as a whole. You mentioned revelation. Let's study revelation. I want to I study revelation. Small groups, I want to study revelation. And then they start getting into revelation and think, whew, was this, was this a good idea? This takes effort. This is hard work. 
This requires some study. This requires some effort, which is why we provided the resource page for you. It will help you to understand the hope that's in the book of Revelation. But, but let me give you a head start. One of the things that's helpful in reading Revelation is knowing who wrote it and how he wrote it. Of course, John wrote it. It's, it's, the, it's the word of God written in the words of a man named John. And John writes it in sort of three different ways. Eugene Peterson wrote a really good sort of commentary on Revelation called Reversed Thunder. It's in your resource page. And in it, he says, John wrote it from the perspective of three different kinds of people. He wrote it as a pastor. He wrote it as a theologian. And he wrote it as a poet. And what I'd like to do is just to walk you through some of the things that Eugene Peterson says in his commentary and then make a, 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 just make a note on it. So as, as a pastor, Peterson says, we must be courteous to John himself by honoring the fundamental concerns that we discern in his life and that come to expression in Revelation. The subject is God, not cryptographic esoterica. When's the last time you put those two words together or used any of them? The subject is God, not cryptographic esoterica, and his context is pastoral, not alarmist entertainment. What's the point? John is not writing a sci-fi thriller. John is giving us an image of who Jesus is. And he's writing in the context of pain and hardship, which many of us understand exactly what it is. And so what John is trying to do in his letter as a pastor it's just as a shepherd would come along his sheep and guide them to green pastures and still waters, shepherd is, uh, uh, John is attempting to come alongside us and lead us to what is true and right to understand God. Now, as a, as a theologian, this is what Peterson says, the task of John is to demonstrate a gospel order in the chaos of evil. Just that phrase right there, gospel order in the chaos of evil and arrange elements of, the ex of experience and reason so that they are perceived proportionally and coherently. Our experiences are sin, defeat, discouragement, prayer, suffering, persecution, praise, and politics. But all of what we experience are placed in relation to the realities of God and Christ, which are holiness and healing, heaven and hell, victory and judgment, beginning and end. What does that mean? <laughs> John is giving us theology. You know what theology means. It means the study of God. He's helping us understand what God is like. And this is not John's first rodeo in theology. He wrote the Gospel of John, let's remember, and at the very beginning, he starts off very heady, very theologically. Uh, the, the logos, the word, of, the word of God, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So John's trying to help us understand how God's, God's role in the midst of all that is happening, happening and what will happening. And as a theologian, he's bringing the future into the present. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. And then he writes as a poet. As poet, John is using words to intensify our relationship with God. John wants to jar us out of our lethargy, get us to live on alert, 
Open our ears to the hard steel promises and commands of Christ. Banish boredom from the gospel. Lift up our heads and enlarge our hearts. Isn't that what poets do? Poets don't settle for mere logic. They don't settle for mere linear thinking. Poets introduce metaphors and symbols and imagery. Edgar Allan Poe and Shakespeare and Maya Angelou and whoever else. Robert Frost, the list goes on. But they all bring, import all of this new way of thinking and saying things so that our hearts can be enlarged. We can be waken out of our boredom. So John writes to us as a pastor, as a theologian, as a poet. Hopefully that will help you as you begin to read through the book of Revelation. Let me end with this. I want to give you the, the, the practical, rubber-hits-the-road reason for exposing yourself to revelation. And it goes like this. In verse 3, going back to verse 3, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near God blesses. God blesses. This is the only book in the Bible where God promises to bless you if you expose yourself to this book. It's not just read it. It's, it's to embrace it. It's to obey it. But it's not, just, it's not just embracing it, obeying it. It's absorbing it into our lives and living it out. And, and the only way we can do that is by exposing ourselves to it. And the, only way we, and, the, and, and the way we do that is by studying it, which is why you have that resource page to allow yourself to go deeper. That's the book of Revelation. That's an introduction to the book of Revelation. Now, I want to go back to a previous verse we looked at because this verse most naturally leads us into a time of communion. I love it, the fact we do communion, you know, the first weekend of every month. We try to. Uh, I love it, that, that, that revelation of, of all things is, is starting today. What, what a perfect book to lead us into a time of communion together. When you, re, when you walked in, you should have received a, a cup with the, the bread and the cup. If you did not, just raise your hand and someone will get that to you if you don't have one. All right, I'm going to grab mine back here. Let me read verse 5 to us. He, Jesus Christ, is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. If you're in the Old Testament, you are looking forward toward the cross of Christ. If you're in the New Testament, you're looking back at the cross of Christ. It is there where Christ took my sin and your sin onto himself that we might be forgiven as we turn to Christ alone in faith. Revelation will remind you of that over and over. 
that Jesus is our Savior. He is the one who has rescued us. He has freed us from our guilt, freed us from our shame, put us on sure footing with God himself, that we may be certain of eternal life. All of that because of the cross. This is a time for believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a time for you to hold the bread and hold the cup and be reminded. And as we do, what I'd like for us to do is just to several things. And I'll give you a chance to pray quietly. And that is to just talk to God quietly and confess anything that you need to say to God, anything in your heart. Lord, what, what, what is there in my heart that is wrong or wicked? or evil, or sinful, or deceitful. And once that, once you've, once you've been, once you've uh, cleared your heart before God, just a word of thanksgiving, thank you God for doing for me through Christ what I could never do for myself. And then thirdly, just a, a moment of recommitment. Thank you, Jesus. Now I commit to following you again. Let's pray together, please. Just hold your bread and your cup and talk to God quietly. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said this, This bread, this broken bread represents my broken body given for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. Likewise, he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the new covenant. An unshakable, an unbreakable relationship with you and God. Whenever you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together. And now, God, for the, for the privilege of coming into this room to celebrate your grace, your steadfast love for us. Thank you. Not just now, but forever. Celebrating the fact that you win. And because you win, we win. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the way of a benediction, can we all stand, please? Together, let's read these words from Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read together. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Amen. Have a great day. Enjoy your week.